Welcome back to Ravens Recap. Well, the Ravens and the Eagles did play each other. The Battle of the Birds did conclude, and it was not the bloodbath that some of us predicted it would be. In fact, actually, the Ravens didn't even cover the eventual 9.5 line that uh, Vegas had. It looked good for the first half. It looked really good for a while there. But at the end of the day, the score was 30-28. to 28. The Ravens just sneaked out a win in what was definitely an up-and-down game for the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I would even go as far to say the first three quarters were uh, what we were expecting, but then the fourth quarter came along, and the Ravens just, uh, you know, they thought they were on the bye week already, is kind of what it felt like. I mean, I think even as a fan, I was watching the game, and I think at that point, I'd pretty much tuned out and wasn't looking at the score anymore and was really just trying to watch individual players, you know, what was going on from a play-to-play standpoint, and then when... Wentz completed that pass over Humphrey and Peters. I had to, I felt like I had jolt, jolted and woke up from, uh, you know, a bit of a slumber there and realized that the, the Eagles were two points away from tying the game. And luckily the Ravens were able to quench that fire very quickly. But yeah, you know, that this game, I'm, we're going to get into it. I'm sure we all have opinions on it. But to say that the comeback that the Eagles had yesterday, I mean Sunday, if you even want to call it a comeback, I guess we can debate that as well, uh, certainly has some section of the of the fan base uh, a, a little concerned. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to say that I'm concerned. I feel like my initial reaction was kind of surprised, I guess, but maybe not concerned. Definitely hats off to the Eagles for being able to come back into that game. I mean, if you were to ask anybody the week before, like, you know, the Eagles would have been in position to tie the game up, throwing a pass up in between Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. Right. Like, no one would have believed you at all. But somehow Wentz and, and the team were able to just come up with this magic and, you know, I guess wear the Ravens down a little bit. Definitely a crazy finish to the game. But, you know, like we've been saying for the past couple of weeks, I think, you know, at the end of the day, the Ravens are 5-1. and one. Yes, they have a lot to work on, but... It's hard as a fan, I think, to keep this perspective, but I think it is important to you know know that like the Ravens are five and one, they're very good. That standing is is very high and definitely within any of the top playoff teams in the league. And there's a long season still left, uh, COVID cancellations notwithstanding, and there is plenty of room for improvement. That's definitely a good place to be, especially going into the bye week. Yeah, I like knowing that there's a checklist of things that we can improve upon that aren't just, well, you're just missing this player, right? Like, we have the players to be successful and to win it all. It's not like there's just a huge hole. It's a lot of it is uh, execution-based and, uh, like, the mental game. Uh, We'll get into it in a bit, but there were an astonishing amount of penalties in this game. Uh, And they really hurt our chances. Uh, There was 12 penalties for 132 yards. A lot of times, just shooting ourselves in the foot on drives or letting them extend and then eventually score a touchdown when they would have been dead to rights. These are all fixable, though. These are the kinds of things that you're like, well, good. It's not that we have a no good inside linebacker like we had last year as an initial problem and we have to go to the streets. It's not that we don't have a, a good quarterback. Like These are all things that can be corrected in the season with the players we have and make progress. But if we want to talk about players that we have, let's talk about the one that we've had the longest. Sam Cook, 230 consecutive games. The COVID bug could not stop him from breaking the record, which I was surprised to see. It's 229 to Suggs and then 228 to Ray Lewis. So I was kind of like surprised it was Suggs and not Ray Lewis when I first saw that stat. Yeah, definitely a very impressive accomplishment. And he hit some great punts. <laughs> you know, he did, he did the Sam Cook thing. And overall, it was a great special teams performance by the Ravens. Yeah, he uh, he was out there quite a bit uh, on Sunday. Seven punts, with three of them going inside the 20. Uh, just Mr. Old Reliable there. Pretty good career for him for a six-round pick in 2006. I mean, what's there to say about Sam Cook that we haven't said already? I mean... <laughs> When, when you've been around for that long on the team, especially when you're a punter, everyone knows who you are. And, you know, with a lot of talking points has been made about uh, the different types of punts he's done, pretty much revitalized his career around 2014. And 
changed him from being a basically league average punter to one of the the better guys in the game and it's allowed him to stay on the Ravens for a while and he can now say that he's suited up for the most games in Ravens history. Yeah. Two thoughts on that. One, my initial reaction was I can't remember making as big of a deal when Suggs passed Ray's record, right? I, I thought it was amazing that you have three players with like 230, 229, 228, and I can't for the life of me remember it being a huge deal when Suggs surpassed Ray. I mean, I, I assume it must have happened in, you know, I guess in 2018, but it's just, you know, now I guess with a, a few a few years in between, I guess, uh, I guess I've just forgotten. I don't know. Do you guys... You guys remember that? I vaguely remember it. And but the the critical part is I it's so vague though that I don't remember what happened the next game cuz he only beat him by one. <laughs> you know. Right. Uh did he get injured? I don't know. And I guess no one was talking about that part how he just beat him by one whenever that happened. I don't remember exactly how it went down, but I do I think I vaguely remember it being mentioned in, in a uh in like a sports cast, you know. One of the talking points the guys wanted to say doing the commentary. So I, I pulled up an article from 2018 when Suggs was about to to tie Ray's, Ray's record. So Suggs has a great quote here. He's like, really? But what if I die today? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to put that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. No, wait, but, but, that, but that doesn't count playoff games, right? That wouldn't have been the Chargers playoff game, right? That would have been the Week 17 game that we played. I would think it would be all games, so... I can say I can think one reason why we may have missed this is because if this was the end of the 2018 season and he broke the record against the Chargers in that wildcard game, I think there are a lot bigger Raven stories going along at that time rather than, hey, here's a random, you know, week six matchup against the Eagles. So right. <laughs> I, could, I could see it getting lost in the, oh, the Ravens haven't made the playoffs since... 2014, you know, rookie quarterback Lamar Jackson versus Baker Mayfield. That may have been at, although I will say I was out of state for both those games. So I wasn't really in tune with the, what the local media was reporting back then. So, you know, it's on you guys to try and recall what was being said <laughs> on the radio and around town. <laughs> yeah. Well, regardless of what happened there, I, I will say from, from a recent uh, media output, I, I got to say, actually, um, I think it was an article from uh, ESPN. I think there was a great article describing some of like uh, Sam Cook's career and you know kind of in the uh, Ravens draft room and how they uh, decided that they want to take a punter that draft. And I, I thought that article was a really really good read. Uh, you guys should look at it. And uh, kind of related to that too. I know another uh, piece of uh, media that came out. I think it was Mark Viviano from uh, the local. Uh, news station. I think he posted a video on Twitter, John Harbaugh's interview. I guess he was coming out of the castle. Oh yeah, and yep. uh, talking with the news reporters back then. So you see, like Jameson Hensley and Aaron Wilson and, and <laughs> all those guys from you know twelve years ago in this video. And uh, you know, it's it's pretty cool. You know, you you forget that you know it's it's just been such a long time since John Harbaugh came to town and really puts it in perspective kind of just like how much was different back then and you know how some things haven't changed either. Yeah, John would definitely have been proud of the special teams performance this week. And that's actually why we decided to start off with them because they did awesome. Justin Tucker, three field goals were made out of his three attempts, including a long one of how many yards? 55! I assume that's what you were going for. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I left just a break to put the, the clip in, but I might have to leave your part in, too. <laughs> Do the same thing I did with, uh, with KJ, and I had him mixed in. It's always fantastic that Justin Tucker's able to just stroke those field goals in, and we always have confidence in him. And in fact, actually, when Lamar took a sack, and they were like, oh, you kicked him out of field goal range. Like, that's a horrible mistake, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, it's not the best mistake, but, I mean, we have Justin Tucker. It's a 60-yard field goal. I think uh, you, you could do it if you wanted to. I mean, we were ahead uh, pretty handsomely at that point, so I understand why they didn't do it. Um, but 
<laughs> but Wait, I'm hold like, up, hold up, on. hold up. We saw that we saw that, that lead wasn't as, as cushy as we thought it was. Oh, no, I, I still think it was stupid. And I, I when we get to the offense, I'll complain about the fact that we had like 40-some seconds with two timeouts in the end of the second half, and they were just like, all right, we're going to run the ball now. Like, what the hell was that? But anyways, <laughs> we'll get there later. Uh, we, we're talking about Justin Tucker, the GOAT. He did a great work. And uh, there was even another special teams standout this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before we move on to him, I think just we still need to highlight once again, Justin Tucker went out, kicked the ball six times for uh, potential points on Sunday, three for three on field goals, three for three on extra points. And his counterpart across the the sideline, Jake Elliott for Philadelphia, missed his only attempt. So again, when the game comes down to kicker, you know the Ravens are always going to win that one. Yeah, I think for me, the the best special teams play, I think, was the last one that was made. It was really, really notable. Was the failed onside kick from Philadelphia? James Prochet just kind of really attacked the ball and was able to come down with it. And then at that point, like the Ravens' victory was sealed. You know, if if that doesn't happen, I think a lot of us fans would have been extremely concerned at that point because you know the Eagles would have gotten the ball left with a couple of seconds. They would have had some timeouts. They would have been able to get into field goal range and then maybe Jake Elliott would have, you know, made the last kick. Uh without Prochet, <laughs> I would have been would have been really really concerning. But overall, man, you know, Prochet, I I'm really happy with. I know he hasn't broken off a whole lot of big returns yet, but I got to be honest, man, just having him and then having Duvernay on kickoff returns, I think it's just really been an improvement over the last couple of years. You know, we definitely haven't had very dynamic kick returners or punt returners, I think, in a while. You know, I know most fans will probably point to Jacoby Jones as probably the last one, but I, I think there may have been a handful of ones in between. But but still, we just really haven't had a, guys at either of those positions to really be like, you know, A, have the confidence that they're going to make the play consistently, and then B, like, be able to break one occasionally. Uh, but Prochet, in particular, man, I, I feel like even though he's a rookie, you just don't recognize that he's a rookie like he has not fumbled the ball once just has not been an issue with him he's fielding punts absolutely fine sometimes when he is in a position he's able to pick up yards you don't really see any negative plays from him and I think that's pretty surprising for a player of of his experience in the NFL so I think he's going to break one eventually but uh, in the meantime man just keep doing what you're doing because I've been impressed it's also the first time the Ravens in a while have had a player receiving kicks that like actually has potential right like no one thought d'anthony thomas was going to come in last year and actually provide in any other way right but prochet could still be a wide receiver in this offense and still produce like he has potential we saw how he caught a load of passes out of smu the guy has a lot more potential so he's not just oh this is our returner he is also a wide receiver that has you know potential it's cool that it's finally a rookie like kind of meant to be in that position. Absolutely. I mean, between both him and Duvernay, you know, they're going out there on special teams and they're doing exactly what the coaches are asking them to do, which is exactly what you want to see uh, as they work their way up to, to being consistent receivers in this offense. And to go back to the recovered onside kick by Prochet, I think the Atlanta Falcons showed us a couple of weeks ago, that that play is harder to do than it might look on TV, or just the Atlanta Falcons just don't know how to run that play at all. But it was absolutely huge play for the Ravens. The Eagles were close in converting that. I, from my eye, when I first saw it, maybe not as much on subsequent watchbacks. But but yeah, still, if, if Prochet doesn't convert that, I mean the the Ravens defense they were they were gassed at the end of the game. They were we're definitely not as sharp as we've been accustomed them to for most of the season. The Eagles had a very real shot of of getting at least a field goal uh, if Prochet doesn't come up with that play. So 100% agree with you, Chris. That was a may have been the biggest special teams play of the day. Well, let's transition into the defense, who was down one of their starters due to COVID. Brandon Williams, while he did not test positive for COVID, was in contact with someone who did contract the virus. So he had to sit out this game. Definitely happy to hear that it seems like he's healthy and doing well and should be back after the bye week. But it did mean extended playing time for uh, rookie Justin Matabuke. 
And because Derek Wolf was out, we also saw an increased snap count for Calais Campbell. We did, and we also saw Campbell get the green light for pass rushing a lot more than uh, he was when Wolf and Williams were in the game. I mean, and he, he made his presence known to the Eagles right on the very first play where he just blitzed through the right side of the line and took Wentz down on his way to sack number one of a three-sack day. He was just a monster on Sunday, which, I mean, the, the Eagles, their entire offensive line decimated by injuries, so you would expect the guy to have a huge game given his pedigree in the league. But, I mean, still, he was expected to execute and have a huge game, and that's exactly what happened. There was a reason that we were so excited to have Campbell when he got traded uh, this offseason, and uh, it, yeah, he just showed it right there. I, I gotta say, guys, Campbell is, you know, I'm just as excited now as I was when we picked him up. He is definitely probably one of the top top five Raven signings of like the last, I'd say last 10 years, maybe behind Steve Smith and Quan Bolden. This guy's a monster. I'm very, very happy with, uh, with what he was able to do uh, against the Eagles. Yeah, it's a shame that, you know, Wolf was... Wolf was out. We hope he's okay. Brandon Williams, he should be back. We hope he's fine. It was it was really cool just to see you know Calais kind of get extended opportunity and and he was able to make the most of it and hopefully he came out of it healthy as well. So you know the extra snaps won't bother him in the long run. Yeah, and as I said, three sacks. In addition to the three sacks, four tackles for loss and four quarterback hits. So I, th- I think Wentz is still having nightmares about Campbell <laughs> as we speak. I mean, the guy was a total monster. There were times, I mean, I think, I forget if it was his third sack. I think it was, no, it was his second sack, where I think they double teamed him or triple teamed him even. <laughs> and he just like emerged. <laughs> he just kept plowing and plowing and plowing until he tackled uh, Wentz. And it was just like, wow. <laughs> like They tried so hard. And if you noticed on the, uh, the final uh, two-point conversion, where they tried to do a read option, um, kind of hilarious but whatever they try to do a read option on the ravens uh use you know use our own weapon against them uh <laughs> everyone collapsed to clayus campbell and that's why lj fort and judon were like ready to eat him up <laughs> like <laughs> they were so worried about campbell blowing up the play that they let the other guys just like have a cakewalk <laughs> oh man that that play was man i think both wentz and uh it was a boston scott at that point in the backfield yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it was like ne- neither of them take it, no, <laughs> neither of them wanted it to be on the receiving end of what, that <laughs> tackle that was coming from LJ Fort and Judon. They just <laughs> kept trying to give the other guy the ball, and then eventually, I, I think it was Wentz who did he did get stopped there. But yeah, I mean, we'll get to our MVPs at the end of the segment. We might just have to do a segment where we call just say who our second MVP was because I mean. That's how good of a game Campbell had yesterday. That was an all-time on par with some of the great games we've seen from huge amount of legends that have worn the Baltimore Ravens uniform and played defense. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you leave a game with three sacks and you're relatively happy, and one man did all of that, <laughs> let alone the other sacks that happened. So he was one piece of an overall pretty great defensive performance. I want to give props to McPhee while we continue to talk about elevated snap count. He played really well yet again. He's looking like his old self. He almost had a pick, super close to having a pick. Would have been his first one since 2015, which is his only. But despite his inability to come down with the ball after, you know, hopping up in the air and fi- trying to catch it with his fingertips, still had a great game. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how McPhee plays with this uh, upcoming game slate that we're going to have post the bye. Uh, it passed three games he's really come on and started to make some plays granted that was against lesser offenses in Washington Cincinnati and Philadelphia maybe he he has figured something out maybe his body is starting to feel healthier and he's feeling more comfortable in a scheme that's closer to what he was running in the prime of his career rather than his years where he bounced around Chicago and Washington and he might he might be uh part of the answer that to where's this additional pass rush going coming from it'll be really interesting to see coming up with the the Steelers game yeah it's a great point I think uh with defense I, I think the the defensive depth I think is going to be crucial to getting through this next slate of games 
it's something where, you know, we were a little bit concerned last year. You know, in 2019, McPhee definitely had an elevated snap count, and that was probably one of the reasons for why he uh, got injured so early is because we didn't rotate him out as much. Uh, now it definitely seems like we have a solid rotation, I think, with uh, Bowser and, and Ferguson and Ward, uh, even to some extent. Uh, but yeah, really figuring out how we can rotate those guys out and, and how they can be more effective with the snaps that they're given uh, will really help to kind of maximize the the potential here, particularly when the, the defensive backfield uh, is is going through some injuries. I think we could you know, definitely need the guys up front to be able to compensate, I think, for a little bit. Yeah, McPhee had one of the six sacks on the day. He also had uh, three QB hits, so he was getting in on that action. Just a really great game. I think we also saw a continued good performance from Tyus Bowser. Tyus Bowser also was able to uh, get after the quarterback. He had two quarterback hits, no sacks in this game, but I think him and him and Calais Campbell seemed to be working well together to generate pressures. They were, yeah. I mean, it was a excellent pairing. I mean, Bowser continues to be not a, a dominant player by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly a, a guy who's founding a, a key niche role on this defense uh, as guy who's who's serviceable and is going to give you some some plus snaps when he's in there. Uh, you combine Bowser's performance yesterday with McPhee, and then uh, Matt Judon also had uh, another good performance in rushing the passer, three quarterback hits, again, no sacks. And Jalen Ferguson also made a big play yesterday, teaming up with Deshaun Elliott to force that early fumble. So, again, we, we talked with the... Eagles fans last week about this team is decimated by injuries. Arguably, this might have been the easiest game the defense had from that from the standpoint that they were basically playing a, a offense filled with second and third stringers. But again, you're you can't choose the opponent that you're given. All you can do is decide how you're going to execute and. For the first three quarters, they executed to the highest degree they could. But yeah, I mean, we talked, uh, so Ferguson and Elliott, they had that tag team fumble. And Elliott, I mean, in particular, I think he seemed to, to show progress each game. He's showing up more and more in big plays. Should have had an interception, called back on penalty. And the guy was just high motor, high effort yesterday, even on the plays that, that didn't go well. He may have saved a touchdown on a completely busted play by the Ravens where, you know, they got uh, gave in to the Jalen Hurts trickery that the Eagles were, were doing. And Miles Sanders had his one boom run for his uh, 10 no-gain runs and did what Earl Thomas would never do with the Ravens and chase down the runner uh, <laughs> just to the goal line, knock the ball out for a fumble, which could have caused the Ravens to uh, at least get the ball out of the end zone for a touchback and negate a touchdown. But uh, J.J. Argaria Whiteside uh, was very excited to get any semblance of a touchdown. So unfortunately, the Ravens didn't weren't on the winning end of that. But still, I mean, gosh, I love the guy's effort on that play to just uh, chase down that guy on a play that is you guys obviously didn't win. It's a lost play and. Take a page out of uh, Marlon Humphrey's book and and knock the ball out. Yeah, it was absolutely huge. I mean, the the thing I took away from that play as well is that um, you know Deshaun Elliott, I, I think, is not going to be a guy who's known for his top end speed. <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was. I think he was really struggling to catch up to Miles Sanders there. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure what his uh, 40 yard dash time was, but whatever it is, I think it's less than uh, what Miles Sanders is. But yeah, I mean, you know, despite that, he was able to actually get up in there and I, I know we talk about how Humphrey is his ability to be able to find the football and be able to punch it out but you got to give huge props to Elliot though to be able to do that I mean you got to be completely gassed you've been chasing this guy for 50 yards and to be able to kind of like with the diving punch be able to knock that thing out like it was an amazing effort uh you know so should definitely be noted you know unfortunately you know like you said Peter he, he couldn't corral that one interception 
if he was able to make a play on that, I think that would have also been a game changer. But I, you can't fault the guy. I mean, he was in great position for most of the game and, and could have was able to force one turnover, but could have forced an additional two. I mean, that's that's absolutely huge. Oh, yeah. Deshaun Elliott definitely wins the effort award for chasing him down. <laughs> I I saw a fantasy analyst make a joke about J.J. Arcega Wayside saying, like, that's the only way he'll ever get in the end zone. <laughs> Because <laughs> he was a big like believer in him coming out of college, but he's been a total bust. Oh, man. <laughs> he's like, yeah, the only way you can get in is by uh, collecting the fumble. Was that was that his first career touchdown? Uh, I don't think so. I, I I would have to go check. But looks like he, he had just... one in 2019. So <laughs> second career touchdown. Yeah, he's definitely not been uh, that great of a player. He was one of the players mentioned. Uh, what is it? A couple weeks ago, when we were talking about how DK Metcalf uh, <laughs> went super duper late. Um. Yeah, he he went before DK Metcalf. Big oops. But anyways, I thought the the nice thing about Elliot is that he said after the game that he watched ninety minutes of Marlon Humphrey punch out film. I didn't know there was ninety minutes of Marlon Humphrey punching out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the ball. There probably isn't. He probably put up a couple of them on loop. But nevertheless, uh, the guy's a quick study because he got two. He had two forced fumbles in this game, and I got a little quippy on on twitter and i said how he's better than earl thomas and it's great that two six round picks are arguably one of the best safety tandems in the whole league and i think what's even more impressive about it is just how many safety prospects the ravens have whiffed on since signing ed reed i mean obviously matt elam and terrence brooks never came to be much of anything uh Dewan Landry was was very good for a couple seasons, but then injuries and took their toll, and Ravens let go of him in a salary purge. They they've drafted no one. They've had success with no one uh, since Ed Reed, and obviously these guys' career is still very young, but the early returns are insanely promising. I feel like I have to pinch myself every game, and now I got to knock on wood because Deshaun Elliott got he's been healthy. It's been great. You know, I know th- this is something that we've talked about in the last few training camps of like, you know, hey, this guy's really good in preseason, but can he stay healthy? You know, this is the third year. And I was like, I remember telling Alec and I'm like, no, nah, like, I-, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't feel comfortable giving this guy the start just because he's not going to be there. But, you know, he's he's been available. And, you know, because he's been available, he's been good. He's been able to showcase his talent. So, God, man, I hope I hope I didn't just jinx you there, but like you know, I just want to say that you know Deshaun Elliott, man, definitely showing that he deserves to deserves to be here. You know, excellent excellent point, Peter, of the just the returns on on uh, these two guys have have been absolutely fantastic from a draft perspective. With that said, as great as the Ravens' starting four of uh, Clark Elliott, Humphrey, and Peters has been this year, you guys remember in week two. We found out Tavon Young was out for the year. And then yesterday, Anthony Averett suffered an injury. It looks like he's going to be out at least four to five weeks. Uh, so we do still have Jimmy Smith back there. But the reserves behind these guys is starting to get very thin. Uh, even when going into the season, that group was not as deep as we would have liked it to be. Yeah, I'm grateful that... Jimmy Smith has been playing at a high level. He played really well, actually, in this game. We saw him covering Zach Ertz. Um, we saw him break up a few key pass plays. But, yeah, his re-signing has just become even more critical. I'm almost more curious to find out how these practice squatters are going to step up. Because that's where we're at. All the people that are going to be playing from here on out, unless we make a trade or some kind of signing... Uh, which is not any better, right? <laughs> You're signing a free agent instead of a practice squad. Like they're going to come from the practice squad or free agency, and we have to see these guys step up. I know there's a couple prospects that might be able to fill in the, the shoes. Dorsey and Warrior come to mind, but uh, this is definitely not the position we wanted to see the Ravens in. We liked having some really solid corners, despite not the greatest depth, and now it's it's even thinner, and it's coming in one of the biggest stretches of our season like the next we, we're not we haven't talked about this yet but after the bye we have like what five or six games in a row that are all relatively decent teams uh bordering on like excellent teams 
Yeah, it's a huge shame. I mean, Averett was definitely uh, really coming into his own, I think. You know, fans have, have picked on him in the last couple of years. But, you know, I think the Ravens have really found something rotating him out with Jimmy Smith and were able to kind of shuffle those snaps around and, and keep everybody healthy. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be crucial that some of these guys – Whoever it's going to be is going to help step up because Jimmy Smith has has not been a guy that we could rely on for a full season because of his injury history. You know, I I would think that the Ravens think that you know the same thing and that you know as as well as Jimmy is playing now in this stage of his career, you know you still don't want him playing almost every snap in the game. I mean he's been pushing 50, 60 snaps for the last couple of games now. You know because of the injuries at corner now. And um, we just can't have that. You know, he's not going to, you know, it's going to be like McPhee last year. He's just not going to survive if we haven't played that many snaps. So it's going to be interesting. And and you definitely hope that Avery is able to come back within, you know, five weeks and, and hopefully don't have any lingering effects. But, you know, that's still wishful thinking. We, you know, we don't know. We're going to have to find out when we get there. In the meantime, next man up. So while we did see a string of, great coincidences and prayers getting answered for the Eagles on offense to result in this 14-point comeback at the end of the game in like the last seven minutes. We probably wouldn't have had been in this position if the offense takes just a little bit more. And it, it seemed like for another game, even though they put up 30 points, they just weren't clicking. And it was mainly because, I think, penalties. As we talked about earlier, 12 penalties for 132 yards, and a lot of them on the offensive side of the ball. Our offensive linemen, every single starter, except for Skura, including McCarry when he came in for the injured Tyre Phillips, had at least one penalty. And and Stanley had four. I mean, uh, <laughs> it was so bad. And some of them were just like lining up problems. You, you should be able to line up in the professional like NFL, you know, <laughs> like... This, these should not be the issues that you fall down on. You know, a hold here and there, fine. False starts. I mean, maybe those 7,000 fans really, like, you know, mess with you. Uh, but but not lining up right? Come on, man. <laughs> it was definitely frustrating. You know, it's one of the worst games, I think, from, you know, from the offensive line perspective. You know, those penalties were just backbreakers, man. You know, I, I think overall the the offense the, they've got one thing going for them right now, which is really good in that uh, they're very efficient when scoring off a turnover. I think when the defense is being oppor- opportunistic, they force a turnover. The offense is able to score quickly, and that's a big reason for why the Ravens were up seventeen to nothing going into the half. Is that they were taking advantage of the Eagles' mistakes. And they were scoring and then became up quickly. It's just everywhere else when, you know, they're not coming off of a turnover. You know, they just, it seemed like there was a penalty here, a penalty there. And it just put them in really, really bad positions and became really hard to try and extend drives. I think maybe, you know, part of it could have just been kind of like a week to week thing and that, you know, maybe the ref crew this week decided to call more of them. But, you know, so I, I don't know if I'm too concerned long term that these penalties are going to be a continuing thing, but you want to see overall consistency and, you know, week to week improvement in this area. And unfortunately with all the penalties this week, it's, it's kind of hard to see that because, you know, in some ways they just took a giant step backwards. (laughs) Yeah. I I really hope that the penalties this week were just, you know, just showing some of the mental fatigue settling in from the first bit of the season it was only week six on Sunday, but you also have to think like this is probably for these guys been the most exhausting season they've had to, to go through, at least from the start with everything that that's new this year with uh, COVID protocols and having to keep track of sanitization and what are you doing outside the locker room? You're worried about that even more than usual. That, that's got to be it's got to have some type of mental tax on the guys. And I think you're going to, you know, it's maybe we're seeing some of those mental lapses come earlier than they usually would in a season as a result of that. Luckily the Ravens have the bye this week and the coaches can give them uh, some mental break and find a good way to, to just reset and 
find a way to, to fix those ticky tacky things that were going on on Sunday. But yeah, I, I agree that, that the penalties just really killed any semblance of, of a, the Ravens getting a, a good feel on offense. They really only had one or two drives where it felt like they were get, able to get into a, a really strong groove. But we can still look at that, though, and say even with all that, they were still able to score 30 points. So obviously things that need to be cleaned up, but when you're scoring 30 points when you're that sloppy, that's pretty good, too. Yeah, definitely. And I want to talk about some of the things we saw in this game that I thought were pretty cool. Uh, I definitely think we saw some new wrinkles. So there were some good timing routes. We saw the trips play where Duvernay was the target and essentially had two blockers for him. He was able to spring it for 17 yards, and that was on a critical third down play. We also saw a long crosser to Sneed. Uh, It was definitely a timing play, you know, just a three-step drop, zip it right to a crossing Sneed, and he was able to run for a good yak. There's also this this Sneed concept of this, like, pump-fake-delay handoff, and uh, we saw that work in a couple different ways, and it resulted in that big run from uh, J.K. Dobbins where he had a crease to the right. He was able to have good lateral agility and then barrel his way for another like 17 yards. And then also we saw a lot of wide receiver motion uh, at the mesh point. So sometimes they want to use the wide receiver in motion to kind of cover what's going on back there and make it even more difficult for the defense to understand what's going on. But also you can do what we did in one play again on third down to Duvernay, you pitch it to him and it counts as a completion PPR point. If you're uh, caring about that. And then he swoops around the outside and uh, was able to secure a first down with his great speed. And I, I liked seeing those plays. I, and I was happy that they all, or a lot of them <laughs> involved Duvernay. Duvernay is going to have a big game. It's just, going to be when the the coaching staff is is ready to have him on the field for more than 20 snaps a game which maybe that comes after the bye maybe they've will have a chance to install some more packages where they feel comfortable with him but yeah I agree there was definitely looking too much at the penalties and looking too much at the Eagles were able to come back in this game overshadows uh, some of the some of the positive strides the offense made that you you just mentioned right there that has been improvement over some of the previous weeks. They're still trying to to, to figure out their identity, and when you're five and one, I guess you you have that additional cushion to do it. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. The Ravens saw some things they liked there as far as how they would be able to have success on those routes, and uh, they were able to convert a couple of those into some moderately big plays. Yeah, I, th- I think the one issue I think that still needs to be figured out, and, and maybe maybe this is, you know, uh, solved by uh, getting Duvernay some more snaps, because we know that over a, a week-by-week basis, I think he's getting more involved in the offense. A lot of the plays that he's being involved with are pretty successful. I think he could be that Uh, additional weapon to rotate in to be able to provide Lamar with another option to go to on many plays. But right now, I mean, we're, you know, I feel like it's been a couple of weeks that we've seen this, but we're really not seeing as much production uh, from Miles Boykin, which is, you know, a a little concerning. You know, obviously his blocking ability was something that we relied on a lot last year. But I think this year, you know, we've definitely not seen him make the strides I think that he needs to. I, I think the, the first two weeks we saw some flashes and, and some good things, but, you know, we haven't seen them consistently yet. And, you know, some of the things I think that have been frustrating, you know, in the Eagles game, there was one play Lamar was looking to Boykin on like a third down and he was just r- running the wrong route. Lamar was probably looking for him to run like a 10-yard out and Boykin was just streaking down the sideline. And it's things like that that really kind of make me a little bit concerned at our, our number two spot because, you know, when you face teams like this, the Ravens are going to need some more options besides Brown and Andrews. Uh, especially, you know, the, the one, one of the things I thought the Eagles did really well was that they played a lot of man coverage. And I think overall they were pretty sticky with their guys and it was really hard for our guys to get open. And so Lamar wouldn't, you know, wasn't able to uh, throw as many darts as he would like. I think maybe he was looking for some more separation. And, you know, 
when Brown or Andrews are covered, there needs to be another option there. For a few plays, it may have been Duvernay, it may have been Sneed, but um, having a, a guy who can be that number two who can you know, consistently help out Lamar, I think is going to be crucial. And, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, how they regroup over the bye. But, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned with, with Boykin right now in that role. Yeah, I remember calling for all of you to add Boykin in your fantasy leagues after those flashes in the beginning because I was starting to begin the hype. And then I don't know what happens with the guy. It's been a lot of uh, being on the wrong page. You know, we saw... His ability to improvise this season, it seems like that's been improved. And we already didn't know about his blocking. And I think he I don't think he has bad hands. It seems like just being on the same page, running the right routes, has been the the big issue the last couple of weeks. The other issue we ran into during the game is like you were saying, last week we were keying in on Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown so much. Well, they had zero receptions in the first half. And not many targets either. So we kind of did the opposite. We It's not that, I mean, I think they were just covered, right? We took them away and we said, all right, Lamar, like passes one of your other options. And that's where we kind of had some of these other issues. And then in the run game, we actually saw a lot of loss and negative plays and just being bullied, uh, particularly the interior linemen, making us miss Yonda even more. We knew that the defensive line of the Eagles was very good and they have like an A team and an A like sub one team as well and we definitely saw that i think they were able to make it difficult for the ravens on the ground as well as in the air yeah we didn't really get into it um as when we did the the preview for this game but i don't really think we were expecting the ravens to have a a huge game running the ball from the running back position against the eagles uh basically with what you just said their defensive line is by far the strength of that uh, side of the ball and the Steelers didn't have much success in the, the previous week running the ball with with James Conner or their other backs but with that said it was still Lamar Jackson averaged 12 yards per carry at most of the from that that big run 108 yards on the ground that's excellent we love to see that from Lamar but the running backs on only 28 well on 28 carries basically had 74 yards and you know I'd have to do the mental math quickly to to get what the average per carry was but uh, Lamar's 12 yards per carry brought that up to 4.9 for the team you got 1.9 for Gus 3.1 for Dobbins 4 for Ingram there were a lot of a lot of runs on Sunday that were stopped at the line of scrimmage or in the backfield particularly with with Gus which is uncharacteristic for him you guys if you remember I mean on in his rookie year he he didn't have any negative runs so yeah I I think it was expected for the Ravens to not have a huge game at least relative to what a huge game meant last year running the ball but I think you got to look at that performance as a big disappointment well I think the other big question is is Ingram going to be healthy you know, what was his injury like? And is he going to be good to go after the bye? Or are we going to have to roll with uh, Gus and Dobbins? 100%. That's that's the question that we're going to have to wait and see with. Hopefully Ingram is, is healthy and able to go. I will say I think that a backfield of Edwards and Dobbins has the potential to be really good. Um, but as we keep saying week in and week out, we're just waiting for them to to capitalize I think it's bad, man. So here's why. I thought it was silly that they brought him in for that one play after the injury. It just felt like a way for him to get hurt more. When you have two competent backs, even a third, I think Justice Hill was active, but even if not, like you have two really good backs that you cycle in. Like It's fine for a game just to let him sit and, and not hurt himself any further. So they're saying it's a mid to high ankle sprain, but not considered severe. Man, those are like the lingering injuries, though. They're the ones that you can play through, and but like you just lost like a little bit of that umph, and you're not as productive the whole year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm nervous about that. I'm really nervous about that. It's like almost worse in a way, you know, if it is like constantly hampering him than just being out, because <laughs> like they're gonna definitely go back to him. He's a great back, but uh, we have all these other guys, and I don't know. I, I hope that they are conservative with him and they let him get healthy, because. 
the big thing about Mark Ingram is I want him for that playoff run. You know, I, I want him to be healthy for that. And, you know, if you have to go a couple games in the middle with Edwards and Dobbins, like, so be it. That works out. I think he'll be fine. I, I'm concerned about how they might rush him back just because of that one play where they brought him back in. And, right. and, and Harbs was making it sound like, you know, we have a bye week, like, oh, we're going to be able to, like, he'd be able to play probably. He should definitely be okay for the, the Steelers game. That feels too optimistic. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to play mind games with the Steelers thinking he'll be in there, but... I, I I'm nervous about this injury, guys. I really am. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Harbaugh is, is never going to give straight answers when it comes to injuries to players, and an official diagnosis hasn't been given. Um, he's he's very good at at saying enough words to to say nothing in that regard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I agree with you with your point there. There was no reason to rush Ingram back into the game and. You know, let's say the Ravens really still wanted to keep their three running back rotation. Justice Hill was active for this game. He's a guy we still haven't seen much of, but showed some promise last year. You know, you could run him out for a couple plays if Ingram's not 100%. And like you said, we want to save him for for the playoffs. Um, yeah, this the way that the running back room is being handled this year is still very confusing. I I don't I can't think of any thing quite like it that the Ravens have done with not just the running back room but a p- position group in general. Uh, in all my years of watching the Ravens, this one's been the most confusing. I, I mean, like, who's the starter? Do we have a starter? Who's the guy that we want the ball in their hand when it's a critical play? Like. I don't know if we know yet. I don't know if we have to know it's yet. It's literally but all of them. I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about this, Chris? I I really don't know, man. You know, at first we thought that it was supposed to be the Ingrams, the Ingram and Dobbins show in the first half, and then maybe lean on Gus in the second half. Uh, <laughs> with Ingram being out, they lean more on Gus. But then again, last week they lean more on Gus, and, and Dobbins kind of got some scraps in the middle. Yeah, it's it, it's it's real confusing. You pick any situation. You pick a a red zone goal line, you know, uh, backed up against your own uh, end zone. You know, first quarter, second quarter, fourth quarter, uh, <laughs> victory formation. Like you pick whatever, <laughs> and I, I think any one of those three guys are options. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping that maybe if if Ingram does sit for a game or two. Maybe that starts to make it a little bit more clear, you know, because there are fewer snaps to go around. Maybe it's like a more uh, consistent rotation. Maybe they figure out there's some packages that the guys, you know, certain guys are better at. But, uh, you know, I'd really be interested to look back in the 2008 season because I know that was one of the big strengths of that team was having the three-headed monster with Willis McGahee, McLean, and, um, and Rice. And, you know, this definitely feels a little bit different you know maybe it's just because of the high standards that we've been used to from from last year but definitely agree with you peter i i I think it is confusing i think a big reason for that is the o-line more so than maybe the running backs like the running backs are more talented than ever probably and health healthier and fresher right i think it's more the line to why we're not seeing the the run games i also think it's because candidly we're not running lamar as much um he did have some really key runs this game uh including that last one which was awesome but i think in just in general we're we're trying to play a different offense and we're also just not going to get the same bulliness that we had last year with yonda in there it seems pretty clear that i mean obviously he's a hall of famer he's a pro bowler like you're not gonna just replace him but it's it's a bigger hit than even i think anticipated for this week's jk dobbins diatribe i don't have too much for you but i do recommend that you follow us (laughs) on Now, uh, I do recommend that you follow us on Twitter because I've been retweeting some pretty cool film analysis from Mark Waldman, who is a fantastic follow on Twitter. He gives you breakdowns of film on all the teams, not just the Ravens, but he does seem to have a fancy for the Ravens. I think he, he kind of breaks us down a little bit more often than others. Uh, and he broke down some of the Dobbins plays and the flashes, and he also broke down some of the, the misfires where... You know, we saw the ball ricochet off his hand on third down. Not that it would have mattered because there was a hold on the play. So even if he called it and got the first down, it would have went back. 
classic example of these penalties. But uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, he you know he tried to catch it with the palm of his hand, it violently ricocheted, and you want to see that with the fingers. I'm not saying that he doesn't know that. It's just one of those things that also came up in the film and you know i always i always praise the guy so i, I have to bring him down a pig every once in a while right so <laughs> there you go check it out ravens underscore recap i've been retweeting all the cool things i find while you know perusing ravens twitter on that note before we wrap up our discussion on the offense i do think we need to talk some about lamar jackson because it is interesting getting a pulse of the fan base at least from my perspective uh talking to ravens fans and uh, listening and reading to a little bit of what's in the local media and local pundits think, there seems to be a l- little bit of a growing, I don't know if frustration is the right word, maybe impatience for Lamar to break out this year and have that five-touchdown game or whatever. But I don't know. From my perspective yesterday, look, look at the numbers. QBR of 86.9, QB quarterback rating of 92.5. That's very good. I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere that before the Monday night games were played last night, the 86.9 QBR was the second highest score of any quarterback in week six. No turnovers yesterday. Sure, only one touchdown through the air, but he also had a touchdown on the ground. I get it that the guy hasn't yet put up a game where the numbers are as pretty as some of those midseason games last year, but at the same time, he's still playing well enough for the Ravens to get through these games with the other struggles they're having on offense, um, the Kansas City game excluded. What do you guys think? I mean, he's definitely not having the same season as he was last year, but I don't think that's just on him. I mean, we talked about some of the offense struggles in general this year. But, I mean, there are plenty of, of plays during the Eagles game that I was like classic Lamar. For example, the first touchdown that he threw to Boyle, it was a classic Lamar Jackson, let's roll out to the right. He's buying time with his legs to find the right angle to be able to complete the pass to Boyle, right? I mean, you you have that play with, with most of the quarterbacks in the league. They're not going to be able to have that sort of shiftiness to be able to kind of dance around back there before they either get pushed out of bounds or they get sacked uh, in the field of play. So, you know... There are definitely plays like that where, or, you know, the the touchdown run of like, there are only like one or two quarterbacks in the NFL that are going to be able to do that. Lamar Jackson is one of them. And so, you know, he still has the potential. He's got all of the skills I think that he has last year. It's just a matter of the offense clicking. So I think he's fine. You know, there's some things, you know, I, I think he could still improve, but you know, I mean, all these things were, were things that we said over the offseason, man. I mean, he's got to improve as a passer. You know, one of the things that he could have done a lot better, and I'm sure he'd tell you that, was of just being able to throw guys even though they're covered. You know, throw them open. Or maybe take a, a few more, you know, calculated risks with some of the, you know, throws. But overall, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where he's at. It seems like the Ravens fans have this wild obsession and, and the – Ravens coaches have to keep talking about it is the the sidearm problem or like, you know, quote unquote problem. They're all complaining about his sidearm, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't think that's his issue. I really don't. Uh, do you guys think that's an issue? I, I don't understand it. I understand you want to have good mechanics, et cetera, et cetera. But even the coaches have said he looks fine in the mechanics way. And he said in his post game presser, the reason he was doing that is to get around the uh, defensive line who did make many tips on the ball. So he was trying to find windows and, and, Get the ball out. I, I mean, I don't really buy that. Whenever Patrick Mahomes throws sidearm, the entire Twitterverse explodes and their faces melt. So, yeah, it's like it's the most brilliant thing ever. You know, it's a, it's a classic. Like when it works for you, it's the most beautiful thing ever. And when it doesn't work for you, we're gonna complain about it forever. It's like not everything works all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that was just probably from the the broadcaster because i think they mentioned it at the time they were like well i don't know why he did that like he could have been able to set his feet and throw a more accurate pass but he threw a sidearm and it fell short i mean yeah you're right yes he could have had a a little bit of a different trajectory on the ball but like okay (laughs) like there are plenty of other negative plays that were caused by not lamar jackson he's he's definitely not the worst player on this team right now so you know i i give him a pass for it yeah I, I do find it interesting that it, it just seems like because, I, maybe, it's still my theory, because we've had such bad quarterback play for so long before Flacco came, and obviously Flacco was very good but an imperfect quarterback, that 
any Ravens quarterback, if you're not playing a seven touchdown game week in and week out, the fan base is going to have a lot of opinions. <laughs> Football players aren't robots, man. Like if <laughs> I, I feel like sometimes fans just expect like, you know, they, they want like whatever in their mind is like a perfect quarterback. They want them like all the time. But like that's just not how that's just not how football works. That's not how sports works. People are people. Not how anyone works. That's not how anybody <laughs> works. Nobody is nobody is perfect 100% of the time, right? You know, there are always going to be imperfections. People are going to have good games, they're going to have bad games. If they were good all the time, that wouldn't be interesting because that team would win all of the time because nobody could beat them. Yeah. And I think the the thing you have to come back with is, you know, this fan base always hated when uh you know, Joe Flacco would get criticized and he would kind of brush it off and, you know, not, I guess, get emotional about it. But we know Lamar, like, he'll be the first to tell you when he screwed up and he's ticked off about his play. And you know he's going to work hard. I heard they put in extra reps with Boykin uh, after practice to try to, like, figure out what's going on there. I mean, the guy exudes work ethic. He is a huge leader on the team. If anyone's going to be having issues it's almost best that it's him because he'll lead by example and, and make everyone else around him want to strive to get better as well. And I, I'm not worried about it. Like, um, Clayus Campbell said at the end of the game, he said, this is the kind of game that gives you, uh, the championship, you know, rigor that you need. And I agree. Like you have to have, this is what we've been talking about since last week. Like you have to have some of these games where we get a little skinned and we're like, Oh man, like, damn, we have to get better. Right? Like keep stoking the fire under these guys these young guys mostly and 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 they'll get better they're gonna keep trying no one's given up this season they're going through too much to even participate to not give it their all i think this is the perfect formula just get them angry like you don't want to see lamar when he gets angry (laughs) and i know i i've I've commented before when he tries to do too much it's not good we don't want to see that either but like let's let's let them get a little bit frustrated let's let them try harder and harder to work and i think it's going to be beneficial well that was an excellent way to wrap that up alec i i think from now we'll uh we'll get into our mvps so aside from calais campbell uh who do you guys got <laughs> de facto mvp i mean i'll start Deshaun elliott dude the guy had two forced fumbles he uh one of them was recovered he almost had an interception he's making plays he's showing the guys how to hustle i'm all on board the Deshaun elliott train the joker he gets my MVP. For me, it's uh, it's tough to think of a guy outside of Campbell and Elliott because both those guys just played so great yesterday. But I could give it to Tucker. His field goals were obviously the difference yesterday. But I'm going to give some love to Nick Boyle. We've talked about how we need an, a receiving threat to, to show up outside of Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews. Boyle only had three catches yes on Sunday for 33 yards, but he did have a touchdown and... He caught every one of his targets, so it's a start. We want to see more from that third or fourth option, but it, it was a start. And I think one of them was a converted first down as well. So, I mean, they, they were good catches, and um, and I think usually came when the play broke down a little bit. You know, So he's not he's never the first read, really, um, but he, he may work, and I think the other one was a screen. So I agree. I think uh, that was a great pick, Peter. All right, well, I'll wrap up with mine. I think for me, I'm, I'm going to pick another guy on defense. I think we mentioned him a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm going to pick LJ Fort. This is the second time I've actually picked Fort. Uh, while he didn't have the uh, the same game uh, he did when I first picked him as my MVP, I thought this was a really great game from him uh, overall. I think he didn't uh, scream off the stat sheet like a Calais Campbell, but he was in a great position, I think, for a lot of the game, uh, playing uh, very well against his former team. And that tackle for loss on that two-point conversion the last one to be able to uh basically seal the victory with Matt Judon was absolutely huge and so uh just wanted to give him a shout out for playing so well against his former team with that we're going to conclude this episode of Ravens recap but definitely make sure you subscribe and keep up with us because we have a lot of exciting episodes coming up despite the bye week we're going to have a kind of State of the Ravens episode where we kind of look over all the things that we've been talking about the first six games and talk about how we want to see them improve and give a deep dive of the rookies and how they're performing on the team. And I think Correspondent Kfish is even going to join us for that. So that'll be a fun episode. And then, of course, we have another guest coming on for our 
Pittsburgh Steelers game. Hopefully he'll become a regular on the show because, uh, you know, obviously they're a divisional rival. So we're excited to talk to him, break down the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, who have been having a remarkable start of the season. If we win this game, we'll be able to go into first place. And if we don't, uh, let's we not won't talk be. about that. <laughs> yeah, so it's a big game. It's going to be a huge one. So definitely make sure you tune into that one. We know you guys like those preview episodes. So definitely uh, tune in and tell a friend about them. We'll be back next week during the bye week. Rest up, Ravens. Rest up, fans. We got a long season ahead of us.